We're in the thick of tax season now, a time of year when financial advisors huddle with their clients to talk about all things money. But at some point in the near future, will those huddles venture away from just wealth and into personal issues and family needs? And if they do, are financial advisors equipped to hold up their end of the conversation? Discussing how the role of the financial advisor may broaden from money steward today to all-around life fixer tomorrow is our guest, Cam Marston, whose Mobile, Alabama-based firm Generational Insights studies demographic changes in business as the boomers and Gen Xers make room for millennials and Gen Z. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Our guest today is Cam Marston author, blogger, and lecturer on generational change and its impact on the workplace and the marketplace. His new report is titled, The Re-Architecting of Financial Services. Cam, thanks for being with us today. Delighted for the invitation. Thank you for having me. Cam, uh, let's, let's jump right into it. You believe, based on your demographic work, that financial advisors are about to see their job description broaden from money care into personal care. Give me the elevator pitch version of what you mean by that. Sure. And I think uh, I want to clarify it. It's going to include personal care. It's not going to be exclusively personal care, but it's going to be money care and include personal care. What I think is going to happen is that as technology continues to increase into the world of financial services, these financial professionals are going to see the time that they have available to spend focusing on clients' needs increase. Technology is gonna take, and continues already, but will continue to take more of the mundane tasks that financial professionals have to go through off their plate. Therefore, these professionals are gonna say, how do I next serve my clients? One of which will be to deal with some of the deep-seated issues that many of people who uh, uh, collect, who steward their money, deal with. And these are personal issues, family issues, et cetera. And I think that will begin landing on in the laps of financial professionals uh, routinely. In the, on the, it's on the horizon. I'd guess five to seven years out, this is going to become a normal part of their business. So, Cam, what, what's the data underlying this theory? I mean, what makes you think this is going to happen? couple pieces of data. First, uh, there's the data on the technology that as it uh, continues to get involved in our life, it's taking over a lot of the, like I said, routine and mundane tasks. So I don't think anyone would argue that technology continues to uh, enhance or intrude, depending on your point of view, the world that we live in. But it's going to free up the time. The second piece of data is what I know going on in my research, which is on the demographic and population and societal trends. And that is rising senses of anxiety in the youth who will, in five to seven years, perhaps be on the radar of financial professionals. With that rising anxiety is the rising anxiety of the parents of the youth and how they deal with this thing. Also, we've been taught for years, I mean, since the earliest chapters of the Bible, 
or whatever ancient document you want to take, that more affluence doesn't bring happiness. And I think this search for it continues at a fevered pitch. And due to the relationship of these financial professionals with their clients, it's a special, close, intimate, vulnerable relationship with many of them, the financial professionals now have a way to begin solving these new problems with clients. And I think the clients are going to be very receptive to it. So, so working as a life coach, though, I mean, this, this strikes me as a big ask of the financial pro. I mean, managing the money side of things for the client, that's hard enough work by itself, right? It is, and it is a big ask. And many of the financial professionals that I know that I work with, both as personal friends and those that I work with professional, professionally, didn't get into the business to deal with this. And I get it. It is a big ask, and it's not what they want to do. They're ledger-driven. They're spreadsheet-driven. They're analytical types. And asking them to jump into this, this new arena is a big ask and an uncomfortable ask for many of them. However, if their commitment is to what is to the client, what do I need to do to make my client better? Then I think this is a conversation that needs to happen. Now, it doesn't mean that each of these financial professionals need to go out and become certified life coaches. It does mean that they need to become aware of new issues with their clients that they can now solve due to freeing up time, due to clients' needs, and find those solutions for the clients. One issue or one opportunity that I've bumped into is having a family counselor kind of quote unquote on retainer. The financial services group has one on retainer and the meetings occur in the financial services office between the client, the uh, family counselor and uh, the, the family, the family counselor and the financial professional him or herself. So it doesn't mean they need to be qualified to do it. It means it's a service they need to be familiar with offering in some way or another. What's in it for the financial advisor to take on this additional burden that it's it's really outside their wheelhouse, right? Word of mouth. I, I think the answer is very simple. It's word of mouth. It's twofold. Number one, how are we going to help our clients in the future? What are their needs? What are their concerns? Which brings me to number two we've discussed already. We already have a special, intimate, and vulnerable relationship with our clients. How can we utilize this to our clients' benefit? Number three, when those clients begin talking on the street to say, yes, my financial professional is so-and-so, but they do so much more than that. The expression that I like to say when I work with these financial professionals is, I want you to be in the weeds with your client. I want you to be in the weeds with them, knowing what's going on, not just in a uh, asset accumulation or a risk management but everything else, I want you to be in the weeds with them because your reputation will spread and grow and blossom if you're able to offer these services to them. I would imagine it would also uh, give the financial pro the earlier access to, to the next generation, right? To the children. To become meaningful to that next generation, to become relevant and important to that next generation at an earlier age. It puts those financial professionals on the radar with the next generation again, by being in the weeds with that family, by being with the weeds with the client, it puts them on the radar for that next generation in a meaningful way. Yeah, that next generation cannot be ignored. And I think what we're talking about here is a way to appeal to them at an early age. So are the financial advisors, are they equipped to handle this? I mean, you, you said earlier on that they are spreadsheet driven, that they are numbers driven. But for something like this, there's not a continuing education program out there. You know, there's not a, a Quicken application that they can use. No, there's not. And the solution, in my opinion, 
is perhaps some awareness training to listen to the clients, to ask new and, and to be trained to ask new and different types of questions of the client that perhaps have not been a part of a regular meetings conversation. It's going to take some awareness training. And when they hear these things, when they hear these uh, answers from the clients or these comments from the clients, they'll know there'll be triggers to take this conversation to a new place or to bring in a new talent. Now, one of the things that I'm working with these financial professionals on is lots of you are growing. You have an image in your head of what your next new hire needs to look like, what he or she needs to be able to do, what skills he or she needs to be able to convey to the clients. If these trends that I'm predicting are true, and if you feel like they're true, and you're sensing this going on, and many of my clients have admitted to this, then let's reconsider who that next new hire needs to be. And perhaps that new hire needs to have some skills that you don't have to be able to satiate this need of your next generation of client. So you're, you're talking about having, uh, when you're looking for that new hire, you're looking for the, for the EQ as much as you are for the IQ. And one that is willing to be trained to develop their EQ and to share this training with clients down the road. Absolutely. Perfectly put. Yeah. And, and for those who, for whom this doesn't come naturally, where are they going to learn what they need to know to be able to offer this new service, this new level of service? I'm not aware of a clearinghouse for learning this stuff right now. I think it becomes a conversation. So I'll give you a, one of the financial professionals I'm working with has sensed this. I've pointed this out. He has sensed this. So he has begun a conversation with a family therapist. Hey, I want to take you to lunch. I want to learn what you do. I want to learn what I can listen for from my clients and how I can get you involved in solving their needs. It's not just money. It's outside of that. Their family issues, there's et cetera. In other words, my financial professional that I'm referring to has introduced himself to a family therapist and begun to ask questions to say, essentially, how do I know when to bring you in? What do I need to listen for? So there's expertise out there that the financial professional needs to seek and become familiar with that expertise so they'll know when to refer that expertise. Yeah. And, and what about compliance? I mean, where, where do they fit into the equation? Surely there's no end to the potential risk in drifting out of that financial lane and into things more personal, right? I, I can't even begin to figure out where compliance would figure into this equation. I, uh, I'm not even a financial professional myself. I consult to the industry and I am restrained by, by my clients' compliance issues. So I can't even begin to figure out exactly the role of compliance in this conversation. Perhaps the best solution for the financial professional is, like I said earlier, beginning a relationship with a professional that's licensed to do this type of work and turning it over to that professional to, in order to avoid any compliance issues. Cam, it's, it's 2020 now. So imagine you have perfect vision of the future out to one year from today. So tell us about something in the financial world that you see happening or something that you would like to see happen. Now, there's no limits on this. The only constraint is your imagination. One year from today, I would like to have heard from a number of financial professionals that they have begun relationships with people that offer services much different than their own that are designed to help their clients, one of which would be what we've discussed in this, this conversation. How do we help our clients learn how to be happy? 
they, we know, we know the accumulation of wealth is not the source of happiness, though most people think more money would make them happy. How are we in the financial services profession going to begin to solve people's happiness issues? And how do we begin to make the relationships, to develop the relationships, which will help our clients solve that? I'd love to hear this movement within your profession of people beginning to ask those questions. Cam, we, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That was Cam Marston, generational thinker and author of a new report, The Rearchitecting of Financial Services. Three key takeaways from today's podcast with Cam Marston. First, financial advisors are hired to help their clients with their money. And if the relationship works, a strong trust and reliance develops over time. And because of that high level of trust, Clients may turn to their financial advisors for advice and guidance on other events and challenges going on in their life. The role of the financial advisor is ever-evolving, but the bottom line is providing value to the client. If that means setting aside the spreadsheet and talking about non-money things, think of it as helping your client move toward a happier place. Next, getting to that happier place is the desired upside for the client, but what's in it for the financial advisor? On a personal level, there's the satisfaction that comes with helping someone in obvious need. We all like that feeling. There's also the potential business benefit. Appreciative clients tend to talk about their good experiences. Once word gets out that a certain financial advisor is willing and able to go beyond money talk to help solve life issues as well, a path may be beaten to that financial advisor's door. And finally, don't overlook the generational aspects. That foundation of trust that we discussed earlier Many financial advisors are finding it a challenge to establish a similar relationship with the next generation, the children of their clients, offering a broader range of valuable services that help families work out important issues may position the financial advisor as that trusted counselor for the next generation as well. Thanks for joining us on the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor of BAI. See you next time.